morning. It is a joy to be with you all and to sing the praises of God with you all. Speaking of which, that will be the subject matter of the sermon for this morning. Uh, singing praise to God. If you are a point taker, note taker person, I apologize ahead of time. I have one point for you. <clears throat> and that is... This is not the point. All righty. I can totally project anyway, so this is going to be okay. I'm very loud. Don't think that this is the normal volume. Um, <clears throat> but the, the, the point for you is that saints should sing praise to God all the time. Saints should sing praise to God all the time. Amen? Just so you know, if something in God's word encourages you and you feel inclined to say so and to shout amen, I will not be discouraged. I will only be encouraged by that. Please do not argue with me during the sermon. I will meet you at the tunnel for that. But <clears throat> no, 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 please, please feel free uh, to respond to God's word uh, as you hear it. Um, oh, there it is. Chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. Go ahead and say amen when you get there. See, all of you can say it, so that way you know during the sermon. <clears throat> Matthew 26, verse 30. <clears throat> and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Oh, dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is rich, and it's deep, and it's transformative. We ask, Lord, that you would renew our minds by your word. That you would change our hearts by your word. That you would help us to see Christ and the worthiness of Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is true. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you a singer? I don't mean by that question to ask if you're a famous singer, nor do I mean to ask if you're particularly gifted at it. <laughs> the question is, do you call yourself a singer? I wonder how many of you have Twitters. I know it's not plural, but I'm aging and getting older. The Twitters. I wonder how many of you are on Twitter or Facebook, and when we look at your profile, how many have singer on it? I, I'm asking, is singing what you think you actually do? Is it a part of who you are? Is it part of your life? Is it not just something you occasionally do when you get around folk who do it as well? Or is it just something you do because it's a hobby and you like the way your voice sounds? Or perhaps you just like the act of it? But would you say that singing is a necessary part of your purpose? I hope you would if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Because singing is a crucial part of your purpose. It's clear that God made us to be singers Specifically, he has made us to be singers of his praises. We are not all good singers. Amen. <laughs> Let us say that plainly. We know uh, we're not all good singers, but we all are meant to be joyful singers, loud singers, shouting singers, singing the praises of God with no exception. And that is quite significant when you think about it. It is an act we will all be engaged in forever if we know the Lord Jesus. It's an act we're all called to be engaged in now if we know the Lord Jesus. And singing is a, is a strange thing because you can't really explain why it is or what it does. 
but you do know the effects. You've experienced the heartwarming, gratitude-producing, godliness-inspiring, awe-evoking effects of singing. It's something God's created to have an effect on our souls, and it does. It's a grace that God has given for our joy in Jesus, for our upbuilding in the faith, and for our comfort in his truth. Unfortunately, though, I think many miss out on the benefit of singing God's praises because they misunderstand the role of singing God's praises in their day-to-day lives. I wonder how many of you have that as a role in your day-to-day life. When you think about your calendar, when you think about of the day used well, is it essential for you to sing God's praises that day? The writer of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, does anybody know his name? Joy to the World? Last did my Savior believe? Watts, there it is, all right. <clears throat> he got some classic, he has some hits. Uh, well, in 1707, he wrote an apologetic for the need for more hymns to be written and constructed. And in his apologetic, he speaks of an ignorance that many saints have about the role of singing in their duties of worship. He says this, quote, to speak the glories of God in a religious song or to breathe out the joys of our own spirits to God with the melody of our voice is an exalted part of divine worship. But so many are the imperfections in the practice of this duty that the greatest part of Christians find but little edification or comfort in it. End quote. Paraphrase. The BSV. Uh, what he's saying is, singing is such a glorious part of our worship, God has made it to be, but many Christians do not actually benefit from it or receive the comfort from it they're intended to because they're ignorant about what it even is. Isaac seems to think that the majority of Christians are not as comforted or as edified by the grace of singing because of misunderstanding the practice and the duty of singing in the Christian life. I wonder if you've wrestled with or desired more edification or more comfort, more rootedness in the Lord Jesus, greater sighting of him, a greater desire to be like him. And when you think of solutions, if you think there's a connection between that goal and the role of singing God's praises. Because many do not understand what it is, they do not participate as they are, and therefore we are not as edified as we could. I wonder if we viewed every command to sing praises to the Lord, if we were as mindful as our brother Isaac was, that God in that command is actually not only after his glory being proclaimed, but our own comfort in Christ, our own edification in the Lord Jesus. I think he's right. And the problem he had in the 1700s, we still have in 2022. I would agree that many Christians have a misunderstanding about the meaning of singing God's praises. God commands us to sing his praises. Psalm 146, verse 1, praise the Lord. That command is all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout his text. The, the, the instance is, is clear in Psalm 47, 6 through 7. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. The, the psalmists are, are regularly saying, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises, sing praises. And that was just in those two verses. The Bible is filled with songs of praise to God that we are intended not just to read, but to sing out. The Bible is filled with the truth of God that we are intended to sing about. God sings and calls us to be like him, right? One of the biggest books in the Bible is a book of songs. I heard a dear brother once say that the story of redemption is actually a musical. 
And isn't that true? The Bible concludes with singing. A great gathering in glory, a gathering that is multitudinous. An innumerable company of angels in joyful and festive assembly, and they are singing praises to God. The fact of the matter is that every saint has been cast in God's musical. And the children of God are his redeemed choir. And he calls us to sing. And most of God's people would say amen to that. At least Pastor Raymond did. But then there's another question, and that is, okay, but when? We just sang. When is the time to sing praise to God? When should we do it? Is there a bad time to sing God's praises, an inappropriate time? No one probably woke up any day this week and thought, I should not sing praises to the Lord today. At least certainly no one who calls themselves a Christian. Probably most did not also wake up most days this week and think, today I must sing praises to the Lord today. And we all should have. And part of, of why it hasn't happened and that doesn't happen is because we have a, we've restricted the duty of singing and the, the role of singing to a setting like this. It's a good question for us to really ponder. When do we actually think we're supposed to sing praises to the Lord? And you can ask that, but the question is, you've already answered that. You can just look at your last two weeks, and you will get your actual answer. I wonder when you are most inclined to sing praises to the Lord. Can you notice any pattern in your life? Do you rarely sing praises to the Lord? Do you sing praises to the Lord at all? Or perhaps you have been singing God's praises. Perhaps you have fenced in to only when we gather as a congregation like what we're doing in this instant. But I just want to plainly put before you this morning that it is always appropriate, right, and expected that God's people will sing God's praises to him. I say again, it is always appropriate, expected, and right for God's people to sing God's praises to him. Or to say it another way, it is never inappropriate to sing praise to God. Some people may be surprised to find out that my favorite genre in film is musicals. I love them. Favorite musical under Hamilton is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Okay. <laughs> All right, then let's go. Right. <clears throat> Bless your beautiful heart. Okay. <clears throat> But one critique that people have about musicals, and there are no valid critiques about musicals, but one critique that people have about musicals is that they're so unrealistic. For instance, in a musical, people don't just go to work. Someone will be sitting by themselves, sipping a cup of coffee, and they will just start singing a ballad of their feelings. People will just be having a normal conversation and then they'll just start belting out what's in their soul to each other. And the critic of the musical says, no one actually does that. Nobody sings that much. Nobody processes their life through songs. The believer says, we do. Don't we? It's certainly true that most people don't do that. They don't have anything to sing about. But Christians do. And they should. We've actually been commanded to process our life through singing. Specifically, singing out Praise and trust to our God. One of the tribes of Israel was named praise. Judah. In all kinds of situations, in all the kinds of situations he places us in, we're to be ever rejoicing in our hope. 
ever rejoicing in our God, ever praising Christ our King. God's people should sing God's praise all the time. Now, you might be surprised to find the moments when praise should be spilling from your lips and songs pouring forth from your mouth. Uh, some have misused the book of James so as to restrict the time of singing to only be times of cheer, times of corresponding joy. So you perhaps are familiar with the verse, James chapter 5, verse 13. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And they'll say, see, singing is primarily supposed to be when you're cheerful, when you're cheered. But that's bad exegesis, bad hermeneutics. But that's not what James is talking about at all, right? We don't apply that to prayer. We don't take what James said to mean that he's only calling on the saints to pray when they're suffering. No, 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 no. We would say that's ridiculous to just pray when you're suffering. In fact, we are commanded in the Bible to pray at all times, to pray without ceasing. So James isn't trying to restrict prayer to suffering, nor is he restricting singing praise to just our times of felt gladness and joy. No, the saints sing praise to God all the time. It's one of the graces he's given us. It's one of the ways he's called us to glorify him. It's one of the ways we get rooted in thankfulness to Christ. It's the, one of the ways we get ready for glory. It is always appropriate to sing praises to the Lord. Psalm 89 starts this way, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. David said, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. He says, I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to do it as long as their days and then beyond that. I don't know what your tendencies are, but what would you be doing if you were wrongly imprisoned, chained up with your feet fastened in stocks? You was locked up in jail wrongly, mistreated, abused, thrown in a jail cell. What would your cellmate be hearing you say? Well, we have a situation of such in Acts 16 with Paul and Silas. That exactly happened to him. Many of us in that situation would be crying or complaining against God saying, how could you do this to me? Not Paul and Silas. No, Acts 16.25 says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They weren't grumbling, asking, how could you even? They were in there praying and singing, talking about how great thou art. Certainly there are plenty of wonderful recorded times of singing at mountaintops and after glorious victories. It is appropriate to sing praise to God then. We get that, right? When the Lord provides for you uniquely at harvest time, at, at moments of great conquering, we, we understand and in, in cheer, we cheer, oh, let us sing. Uh, what happened after God delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh in Egypt? After he saw their affliction and he came down and delivered them and brought them out by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and parted the Red Sea so that all of his people passed through safely on dry ground. And when they were pursued by their enemies, and the seas closed on them, consumed them, and destroyed their enemies. And they had been victoriously retrieved from bondage, brought into freedom, headed to the promised land. The first thing they did was start singing. Exodus 15, 1 through 2 says that Moses and all the people sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. You know what that's like, I trust. You've said that before, I trust. You've done that before, I trust. 
No doubt there are general calls to rejoice in the Lord for his greatness and for his victories that make us glad and the many kindnesses that we have seen and tasted and enjoy. But the thing I do want to press on you today is it's not only then, beloved. In Christ, we are expected and enabled to always praise the Lord. We always have something to sing about. We're called to sing his praises at all times when the sun rises on us and when it feels like it's set on us. In the bright moments and even in all the darknesses. For even then, beloved, we have something to praise the Lord about. We have a joy that is not of this world, a joy that's from God himself, a joy that is God himself. Jesus said he's given us this joy. In fact, it's, it's one of the signs that someone knows the Lord that they can rejoice in the Lord always. That whatever man does to them, they can rejoice in the Lord. Whatever circumstances they find themselves in, they can rejoice in the Lord. Do they meet hardship and death? Well, they know the Lord's using it all together for their good. Even if something brings them to the end of the life, they're hoping in a resurrected Christ. As we will be when he comes. A couple years ago, I'd been reading through the Psalms very slowly, and I was amazed at the context of many of the songs in the Psalms. I would encourage you to do that over the next couple weeks. Just go through and read the inscriptions. We know that this is God's word. It's all inspired by God. And with the inspired content of the songs, many of the psalms have inspired inscriptions prefacing the psalm. God wanted what was happening when the saints were singing these songs to be frozen for our comfort and our edification and for his glory. Those inscriptions are more than the writer's copyrights so that they get royalty checks every time we sing one of their jams. No, no, no. Those two are inspired by God. They're written down for us. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for our instruction, even the inscriptions. And it's very profitable for us to understand the content of many of the songs because I think when we compare ourselves to the saints and how they sing, we would find that for many of us, there's pretty big gaps of deficiency, very, very big gaps of of. of of missing praise because we think circumstance accepts us from it. But let's take David, someone whose example the Lord wants us to imitate, whose songs God inspired for us to sing, right? This side of the resurrection, we, we are able to discern the true trajectory of the songbook, right? We know the, the, the songbook is a collection of songs about Christ. Indeed, we search the scriptures, for we know that in them is eternal life, and that they all testify and bear witness about Jesus. All the Psalms point to Jesus and talk of Jesus and are filled with Jesus. On the road to Emmaus, the disciples were taught by Christ the things concerning himself, and one of those books the Lord Jesus used to do that was the Psalm book. So the Psalm book is given for us to see Christ more richly, to trust in Christ more fully, to worship Christ more abundantly. And part of how we're helped to do that, part of how we're helped to rejoice in the Lord, to sing praises to the Lord, is by considering the many contexts through which the saints of old rejoiced in the Lord. The Psalms showcase the sound of hope as sung from diverse saints in diverse situations, all hoping in the unchanging God. And through this book, we get to join in with the psalmist, to join in with their songs, confessing the same hope they had and the same God that they had in similar ways that they did. So Christian, as you examine when you ought to sing praise to the Lord, consider the circumstances the Lord's servant David sang praises to the Lord. David wrote and sang songs, listen to this list, in celebration. We're not surprised by that one. Like when the temple was dedicated, or when offerings were being given, or he was just eager to exult in God's glory and reflected on his majesty in creation. But listen, David also sang songs at times connected to repenting of grievous sin. We actually read Psalm 51 earlier. That's a song. Have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He's saying that. That was a song he was singing. Is that a habit for you as the Lord humbles you and brings you low and exposes your sin to you as part of your process of repentance, singing praise to God? David wrote and sang songs when he was betrayed by a close friend, Psalm 52 and 54. He wrote and sang songs when he was captured by his enemies, like Psalm 56, which reads, a victim of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. He wrote and sang songs when he was running for his life, like in Psalm 57. We know he wrote and sang when he was surrounded and being watched by his enemies who were seeking to kill him. His house was being circled by his enemies trying to kill him, and he is inside praising the Lord. This is what we have in Psalm 59, which says, A victim of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. You are my hiding place. You always fill my heart with songs of deliverance. Whenever I am afraid. David wrote and sang songs when he went to fight. War songs. That was the crunk music, I believe. Like we have in Psalm 60. Or he sang when he needed help. He sang when he needed deliverance, Psalm 69 and Psalm 70. And this is just David, beloved. This is nothing of the song springing from the downcasted souls of Asaph and the sons of Korah. Many people, when they wrestle with depression, they think that is somehow a pass to silence their soul. But that is not the pattern we have in the Bible. No, depressed souls must too sing by faith. L listen to this. It's all in the Bible. Songs were sung in response to deliverance and in anticipation of deliverance. Songs were sung to the Lord in great depression. Songs were sung to the Lord in the wilderness. Songs were sung to the Lord at times of harvest. Songs were sung to the Lord at times of drought. Habakkuk, anybody? Did you notice the last chapter of Habakkuk is a song? When there's no fruit on the vine. Even in drought, they're singing praises to the Lord. Songs were sung when saints were betrayed by their friends. Songs were sung when saints were being chased by their enemies. Songs were sung at all times, in all circumstances, because God is always praiseworthy. And part of how we show that is not just saying that, but singing that. Part of how God wants that showcase is not just through it being said, but through it being sang. And I think... One of the reasons is you can't fake the funk. Oh, you can say praise the Lord. You're not going to sing it unless you mean it. You're not going to sing it. You're not going to bless the Lord and all that is within you. Bless his holy name unless you know him. One song says, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your testimonies. They are my delight. They are my counselors. And you can't fake that. Psalm 145 says, he is great and he is greatly, his greatness is unsearchable and he is greatly to be praised. And part of how we show we know that is by Praising him, not just. It's one thing for you to say you love someone. It's another thing for you to show you love someone, and you should say it and show it. We don't just say we love the Lord. We obey him. We got to say it and show it. Oh, children, you can't just say it. You got to live it. Still working on that one. He's greatly to be praised. And, and of course he is when we think about it. Your life has changed. He has not. 
He is immutable. He does not change. There is no change. There's not a shadow of turning with thee. He is faithful, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Psalm 33, 4. The rock, Deuteronomy says, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Despite what people are doing to you, despite what you're feeling about situations, you have a perfect God who has shown you perfect love, who stays by your side perfectly. And that is something to sing about. Oh, that's the one we sing about. And he's still here. He didn't get better when you got the job. And he didn't get worse when you lost it. That's our hope, that he is our all. One of the songs is, Whom have I in heaven besides you? And on earth there's nothing I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. That's a song. Sing that going through Target. He is gracious and merciful. He is perfect in patience and slow to anger. He is holy, holy, holy. He is sovereign and works wonders by his power. He is saving and plentiful in his redemption. And he's always that way. Even when they are circling your house trying to kill you. And this isn't like the homies down the street was mad and they came with a couple cars. This was King Saul. So we're talk, thinking of an army trying to get you. Not a couple friends with they friends. We're talking about a king is after you with the resources of his kingdom. David inside like, you are my hiding place. Do you know that? Do you know his sheltering, fortress-providing presence? For a Christian, there's always a song to sing. For there's always a glorious God to praise. And he says, do it. And it's a delight for a saint to be told to do it. That's like you telling me to kiss my wife. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> She's my love. This is not the case for an unbeliever, someone who does not know Jesus, someone who does not know God. Before I became a believer, I never sang with people. That joint was weird. I mean, concerts aren't about us rejoicing in hope. It is, and that's the sad thing, because people gather by the thousands to sing song about a person who we're going to hear on the next album actually left you. That's the best we got. Momentary joy in momentary pleasure that is often explicitly against the Lord. That's the best unbeliever can sing about. Stuff that changes. It wasn't until I met the Lord that I learned how to sing. And I'm not talking about I learned how to sing. Still learning that part. I'm talking about I learned how to sing. I had no songs before Christ. Friend, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, if you're honest, you too have no songs. For those who have not surrendered to Christ, they have life without God, which is a life with no life, which is a life with no song. For life without God has no true joy. Life without God has no true peace. Life without God has no hope. The saddest thing for someone in their sin is that this horrible, broken, regularly disappointing life is the best you will ever have. That's nothing to sing about. 
When you don't know the Lord, there is nothing meaningful for you to sing about. When you're dead in your sins, when you're an enemy of the Lord, there's nothing edifying or comforting for you to sing of. You have no grounds for rejoicing at all. Uh, one of my favorite movies is a sports movie, and the team is losing horribly, like awful. They got shut down. The coach goes into the locker room, and they're in there partying. And he was like, what are you so happy about? And he brought to their attention what it means to lose, and it got quiet. And he said, that's what losing sounds like. Oh, that deep, dark absence of true joy, true peace, true happiness, true gladness, that deafening, pressing, stomach-turning, anxiety-producing, Silence is what being in your sin sounds like. And the reason why is because of you. It is because of your own relationship with sin. It's it's true for all of us. We've been singing songs about the Lord by his blood has brought us ransom. You're not here with perfect people. You're here with very broken people, very fallen people, very sinful people, but people who have left sin for Christ and still leave sin for Christ and keep leaving sin for Christ. The reason you are going to be miserable forever and why you have no song to sing now is because of your relationship with sin. Because you have decided not to repent of your sin. Because you have decided that God has called you his enemy. God has pledged to bring you to his judgment where you will answer for your sin and your rebellion against him. We, we all said we believe this as a church, right? Jesus Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. Well, for you who are an enemy of God, that is a terrible thing for you. God has promised to bring you to account for your rebellion against him. You did not make you. You did not give you life. He did. And so you must answer to him. God has promised to consume every sinner in his wrath. And he has told us that the experience of that righteous retribution will be an everlasting torment to every unrepentant sinner's soul. You who have taken God's image and done what you want with it. You who have taken God's breath and used it to live in opposition to him. You who have rejected God's word and disregarded God's rules and resisted God's truth. You who have refused to repent of your sin and believe in God's son. What do you possibly have to sing about? Any singing from such a person is vain. It is empty. God does not receive it as his praises. He receives it as mocking. He receives it as scoffing. And God will not be mocked. Listen, your failure to sing God's praises now, abidingly, ongoingly, is actually proof that you are still dead in your trespasses and your sins. Your silence is actually a grim foreshadowing of a songless forever that you are most certainly headed toward. Listen, there's no singing in hell. Jesus told us this. Matthew 13, 41 through 42. Jesus, speaking of himself, says, The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a friend who are here and still in your sin who have not trusted in Christ. It is because we love you that we appeal to you to turn from your sin. It is because God loves you that he set up a church here to regularly and ongoingly appeal to you to turn from your sin and be reconciled to him. Your sin will bring you only to weeping, not to rejoicing. 
But there is good news. There is the good news, friends. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the biggest one. He takes salt, like he takes singingless souls and makes them into singing saints. He takes them who have nothing to rejoice about and gives them everything to rejoice about. Rather than leave us in our own mess, rather than leave us to our own sin, God has sent his son Jesus to save us. In the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came and he never sinned. He never once disobeyed his father, never once stepped out of line, tempted in every way as we are, and yet was completely without sin so that he might die for us who have sinned greatly. Though Christ didn't deserve to die like we do, he laid down his life for us on the cross in our place. Though he was the recipient of songs and angelic songs and all songs, he left that that he might receive only the mockery of sinners and the wrath from his Father so that we might know joy. Oh, beloved, Christ died for our sins. I love he was reading the Valley of Vision, and it was getting real depressing. Did you hear Pastor Raymond? <laughs> He's going to remember all my sins. The sins I did, the sins that are in my mind, the, the sins I'm going to. He's going to bring me to account and judge them. And if you put a period there, there's no song after that. But somehow, the prayer went, and there will be peace for me. How? How will there be peace for any who have sinned against God so greatly? Because Christ himself is our peace. Because he came to make terms of peace. He came to pay for our sins, to deliver us from death, to raise from the dead, so that we might rise to a new life, so that we might leave the grave that is songless and be raised to life that is filled with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, filled with thankfulness to God. And anyone who turns from their life of sin and trusts in Jesus and follows Jesus and commits to obeying Jesus, everyone who comes to Jesus gets forgiven of all their sin, rescued from all the coming wrath of God, and adopted into the family of God as his own beloved child. They're given new minds. They're given new hearts. They're given the Spirit of God to guide them and to seal them. And they are given a song to sing. It's a song that only God gives us. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. What cry? A cry for help. There's any here who come to see your sin is the offense against God that it is, and you know you need help, and that Jesus is a helper of the helpless, and you cry to him for help. He will incline to you and hear your cry. The psalmist goes on to say, he drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the miry mog, out of the muddy sin that I was in, and he put my feet upon a rock, the solid rock that is the Lord Jesus who makes our steps secure. Psalm 43 says, and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Are there any here who want that? Who know you need that? who hear him calling and hear his voice, we, we, we implore you, come to Christ. Come and live. Come and learn to sing. The saints have been made to sing his praises. We have been saved from our sins. We got some stuff to sing about. And we always got stuff to sing about. There's a season, me, <laughs> me and my wife had heard a sermon, a pastor had exhorted us once. He said, I don't care how bad your life is, you are not going to hell. Yeah. Point. Point for the preacher. That's great. The worst of our troubles are temporary. Even our most vehement opponents must be used for our good under the majestic hand and providential care of God. Any suffering we experience will be restored to us. He will make all things new. 
We got some stuff to sing about. We've been reconciled to God by the death of Christ. We will never know moment of God's wrath that is owed to us. Someone else has died for us, and he's been raised from the grave, so we have hope. The Lord Jesus has loved us so much and cared for us so much that he's laid his life down for us, his own precious life, and poured it out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. And in Jesus, we have an unending persuasion to praise the Lord. It's in him we can and should and want to rejoice in the Lord always. John Newton says, and right when you go to object as to why you can't, Paul says, and again I say, rejoice. When he gives and he takes away, blessed be his name. He's the same, and he is ours. Your job may not be yours. Your friend may not be yours. Family may not be yours. Your house may not be yours. So much may not be yours. But Christ is. Oh, he's more than enough. That's probably why God wants you to sing, so that you know how full you are in Christ. One of the sweetest things for a saint to meditate on is that your situation can never improve. Here. Glory will be the only way things get improved, when we are brought into the fullness of what he's promised. But understand, listen, in this life, there is nothing you can get that can make your life better outside of Christ. And listen, there's nothing you can lose that can make your life worse. Jesus is that full. He's that fixed. He's that stable. And God wants his people to know it. Uh, Hannah was without a child, and she was obviously grieving over this, and Paniah was taunting her and mocking her, and it only vexed her soul further. And Elkanah tried to comfort her. You remember what he said to her? He said, am I not to you ten sons? And she was like, no. Because <laughs> he wasn't. That's Elkanah. Elkanah can't comfort you with nothing. How, is, how are you ten sons to me, Elkanah? But with Jesus? Do we not sing, be still my soul, your Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away? Is he not worth 10,000 worlds to you? Jesus says this is how we get into the kingdom. We've come to find a field that has treasure in it, and that treasure is so valuable, it's worth anything we could ever have. And we don't give stuff up. Grudgingly, it says, enjoy the man sold all that he had to get that field. Not because of the field, because of the treasure in the field. He's the pearl of great price that's worth giving up all the pearls. He's just that good. And God says, sing it. And as you sing it, you feel it more. This is how the psalmist can say in Psalm 63, because your steadfast love is better than life. His steadfast not, love is not just in, sweeten the deal with life. It's not a nice accompaniment to no, life. No, no, it's better than life. He says, because it is, my lips will praise you. Oh, saints, part of how God has designed us to learn things is to sing things. Singing is a means of grace to see him better, to know him more. But above Moses, who we find in the psalm book, and beyond the sons of Korah, beyond Paul and Silas and beyond David, the biggest proof that we should be singing God's praises at all times, that he is worthy of praising at all times, that his goodness is unchanging even in the darkest situations. The greatest and biggest proof of this is the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Matthew 26, 30 says, when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you're familiar with the narrative of the gospel, 
of Jesus Christ, you know exactly what's about to happen. You know exactly what this moment is. You know exactly what just happened to Jesus, right? Judas just left him to betray him, to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. This is the moment immediately following the institution of the Lord's Supper where Jesus says, remember that I've been broken for you. Remember that I've poured out my blood for you. And remember that I'm coming back for you. Now, this is the moment hours before the crucifixion. And the Lord Jesus has time to sing. What would you do as you're walking to death row? Jesus says, pass me the hymnal. Matthew Henry says, it is not unseasonable, no, not in times of sorrow and suffering. The disciples were in sorrow. Christ was entering upon his suffering, and yet they could sing a hymn together. Our spiritual joy should not be interrupted by outward afflictions. One of the things Jesus did on the night before he died for us is sing praise to God. It was his glory. Hebrews 2 says, in the midst of your congregation, I will tell of your name. I will sing your praise. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. There's no greater proof that we ought to always sing to praise God, and even in our darkest hour, than the fact that the Lord Jesus did. And any way you can uh, imitate Christ, you should. You can't die for the sins of the world, but you can sing praise to God. Now, perhaps you're tempted to think that Jesus was singing here just unaware of what was to befall him, unaware of what was waiting for him in moments. But we know that is not true, not at all. For if you keep looking at Matthew 26.30 and you read after that verse, it says, After they sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised. Jesus knows he has a date with destiny to die. He knew he was about to be struck to death by God's almighty rod. He says, I'm about to go die. He's about to go die for us. And he says, and I'm going to sing God's praise as I go. Of course, we are not surprised to find the Lord Jesus, the most perfect man to ever have lived on the eve of the darkest day in human history, completely mindful of what awaited him, so mindful that we're told that in the Mount of Olives, which is where the Garden of Gethsemane was, he would be sweating blood from the weight and agony of being crushed for the sin of the world on the cross. He's been freshly betrayed by a close companion of his. He's soon to be abandoned by all his close friends that he loved. He is soon to feel the forsakenness of God turning his holy back, the, the father turning his back to the son. He's soon to be vehemently cursed at and struck and spit upon by vile people, soon to be stripped of every garment of his clothing and mocked for his meekness, soon to experience the full crushing weight of the justice of God against sin and transgression. He's soon to taste the bitter flavor of death death for God's people, soon to absorb the entire portion of judgment for the atonement needed for the elect of God. He is soon to suffer indescribable misery under the undiluted wrath of God, and he sang a hymn. Because Jesus saw something through his suffering that gave him joy. He knew his resurrection was certain. He knew his blood would secure an eternal redemption for us. He knew that by his single offering, our salvation would be successfully and perfectly accomplished. He knew it would all resound to the praise of God's glorious grace and that soon and very soon he would come to get all of his loved friends and bring them home, where they will be perfected, conformed to his image, free to enjoy the fullness of joy in the presence of God and pleasure forevermore at his right hand in holiness, purity, and love. 
And so even as he walked to the cross, he had something to sing about. Oh, dear church, look to your head. Walk as he walked and sing as he sang. You can sing when you're feeling cheerful, and you should. If any man is cheerful, let him sing praise to God. You can sing when you're being chased by enemies. You can sing when the sun is shining on you and when you're in your valley of the shadow of death. You can sing when you get a promotion and when you get cancer. You should sing when you are surrounded by comforts. And you should sing every step that you carry across by God's grace. And when you feel there's no obvious reasons inspiring you to sing, go to God's inspired word. Think on the many perfections of his character. You'll find something to sing about. Think of the cross that Christ bore for your forgiveness, and you will have much to sing about. Think that Jesus died to win you, that his blood washes all your sins away. Sing for every forgiven sin, and you will find much to sing about. If you look to your Jesus, and if you look right, you will find an abundance of inspiration for singing praise to God at all times in all ways. And if ever you just don't know what to sing, find a song and sing it. Sing it with, with all your might. Sing it and have your soul looking to Christ as you do. Trusting in and hoping in the Lord Jesus. And I'll give you an example. Turn with me to Psalm 13. A few years ago, we were having a really difficult situation in the church, and I was really, really overwhelmed. I was really, really downcast. I was really discouraged. Um, and sad. But in God's providence, I was reading through the Psalms, and I came across Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And just know, none of these are true. These are all feelings. These are fleshly feelings. But we feel them sometimes. Verse 3 says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. I found in this psalm something to sing. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, I will sing. For he has dealt bountifully with me. Yes, Christ has dealt bountifully with me. So you can feel all that, but you should still be able to sing all that. Oh, dear Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. And Jesus, we have tasted and seen that he is good. Oh, help us to keep enjoying him, to keep seeing him, to keep rejoicing in him, to keep trusting him, to keep loving him and to grow in doing so. Oh, Lord, may all the saints be filled with praise. Let us be singing at all times and everywhere. For your glory, for our comfort, and our edification in Christ. And it's in his name we pray.